Welcome back to this week's edition of the Omni Talk Fast Five. It is August 16th, 2019. I am here, as always, joined by Anne. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I was ready for I'm that. I'm super boisterous today. <laughs> I've got three hours I was going to say, Chris is coming off from of... Newark last night. Yeah. That's uh, brutal. And it sounds like Carter is on the line Yes. Well. We are here. The, the original three. The original three. Sadly, Neil Thomas is not with us today. Neil... Unfortunately, has been having car trouble for the past few weeks. Neil literally, and this is no joke, literally cannot bring his Chevy down to the levee right now. Wah, wah. If we would just take an Uber like I suggested three weeks ago, we wouldn't have this problem. I know. I mean, it's like he's not millennial enough. Not it's hard to believe enough. with the flow he's got. How millennial on. is Neil? He, he should, if he was that millennial, he would like find a bird scooter in the middle of the suburbs and ride it in here. Just I'm ride it down the freeway? I yes. don't, hey. Don't hold your breath. I can see him doing it. That's a good millenn- how millennial are you question. What do you do when your car breaks down? I love it. I love it. All right. But anyway, we digress. <laughs> <laughs> we digress. Exciting week at Third House this week. Incredibly exciting. We are pleased to announce that there that we embarked on an exciting new partnership with the Mall of America. In case you didn't hear the news, the Mall of America has donated 100 community memberships to our Third House effort. All you need is the promo code MOA. You go, you sign up, and you get a free annual membership if you're one of the first 100 people to apply. Now, what do you get for that? Well, as you know, Third House is the first of its kind, first ever co-working and retail laboratory space devoted specifically to people in the retail and CPG industries. As part of that membership, you get access to all the great digital content we produce, all the written content we produce specifically for Third House. We mentioned last week, Anne has an exciting new podcast series in partnership with the Network for Executive Women that will be a part of that content. And of course, you also get access and invites exclusively to all of the great events that we have coming through the space as well. And we'll videotape those, audio record those, and make sure that our community members have them too. If you're interested, the memberships are already going fast. Like I said, there's a hundred of them. I expect them to be gone here within the next probably 24 hours. And as I said in email the other day, just yesterday, we'd love for those to go to our loyal OmniTalk listeners and fans first because you guys have been with us the entire way. A lot of great other options at Third House as well. You've got co-working options if you want to come in here on an unlimited basis, work out of the space. We've got a number of companies working out of here already. And of course, if you just want to drop in, maybe just take part in the events, get all those for free as well, you can also sign up for our events membership. And of course, if you have any questions, just email Ann or myself at info at thirdhouse.com. All right. Are you guys ready for this week's Fast Five? We're ready for a loaded Fast Five. That's right. This is a loaded one. All right. Carter, why don't you actually start us off? Oh, we're we're, uh, switching it up a little bit here. We are. All right. Cool. We'll dive right in. So Nike, one of my favorite brands, uh, unveils a new seeker subscription aimed at kids, right? So Nike unveiled the first ever of its kind subscription box. I guess I can't even really call it a box, but it's called Nike Adventure Club. And the idea is that parents can pay the low cost of $20 a month to receive four pairs of youth shoes every single year. So if you think about it, right, that's a new pair of shoes every three months for your little tyke. uh, And it's only $20 a month. Now, I am a huge fan of this from a brand side, right? Yes. Um, for a couple reasons, right? So $20 a month, all right, seems seems pretty low, seems pretty edible, and I think that's the point of that price point. But if you think about it, if you look at the year long, you look at the reoccurring revenue that Nike is going to be able to generate from the subscription model, that's a lot of money. So that's $240 a year, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's a big chunk of change. You divide that by four, the four shoes, right? And I'm trying to do some math in my head, but you're talking, you know, 60 bucks a shoe. Mm-hmm. Um, and for youth shoes, for people who are in that world, 
you know, that's not horrible, but that's, that's still not a cheap pair of kids shoes. Um, you know, my little one's only four months. So, Anne, you might be able to speak to that a little bit more, but that's a, that's a pretty good, uh, a high price point for a pair of, of kids shoes. And what Nike's able to do, not only are they able to get that reoccurring revenue model, but they're able to instill this level of convenience for parents, the most time starved types of people around to ensure that they have a new pair of Nike shoes at their front door every four months without even thinking about it. Do you get it. to right. pick your shoe? How does this work? That's a really good question. Yeah, so my, my assumption is and, and is the fact that you're able to pick a, a variety of different shoes that you might want to pick from. Okay. Um, I think the sizing obviously will progress along along the uh, along the curve of as your kid kind of grows older. Right. Uh, but yeah, you'd be able then to pick your preference based on really kind of what um, you know what they're what they're going to be delivering. Now, I think the the point of that question is good because it, are they are they prescribing the style and the color that they think your kids should wear. And I don't think that's the play here. Mm -hmm. The play is specifically the convenience and the reoccurring revenue model that now Nike has been able to go directly to their consumer base uh, really to instill. Yeah. And, you know, similarly to any other subscription service, they usually do a check in, you know, with like the kids clothing ones where you they send you here's what we're here's the box that's about to come your way. And they, you know, confirm sizes mm -hmm. and everything. The, the pitch that they're making to the parents is that this eliminates your having to go out and take your kids shopping for shoes four times a year because, you know, they they go through a pair seasonally. It's the convenience play. Right. Um, now, I have to agree. Like, even for a pair of Nikes, that's that's pretty steep. Like sixty dollars a pair per pair four times a year. Like I don't know that many parents are are going to be doing it for that purpose. But what I think could be um, a, a more, I guess, um, risky, but could be an, a thing for Nike to explore with the subscription box is how early they are able to capture a sneakerhead audience. Right. I mean, I think the trend that we're seeing is that, I mean, my son is eight years old and Carter, we talked about this, like we went to New York and the kid wants to go to every sneaker store that is available from, you know, Soho all the way up to the Nike five, Fifth Avenue store. That's what's interesting to him. So I think what what it's going for now is appealing to the parents. But I think where the opportunity lies is how do you get those younger younger audiences engaged with your brand and starting to demand like or save up for like I want the you know Kyrie fives that are coming out next year like Ooh, earlier drop. earlier and earlier on. Oh, I know that because my son wants the Kyrie. Oh, fives those are that cheap, are right? In. Yeah. If you can tell me what team he plays for, then I'm going to like actually fall out of the podcasting chair. The right Golden now. State Warriors? Oh, no. Okay. All right. All right. Good <laughs> I time. feel like that's a that's a good guess. Now, Carter, you're not in this stage yet, right? Like you're not no, quite we're not. Yet we're not with, in shoe world, son, right? right? Okay. And, and so I think the interesting thing is, yeah, you know, I was in New York last week and it was sure fun to look at really small kid shoes, you know, because I'm like, ah, oh, it'd be super cool to have them in a new pair of Nikes. Uh, but I, we're not in that world yet, but we will be soon. And, yeah. and I think that, you know, uh, the convenience play is, is there. I just don't know is, is as you start to amortize the value, like it, it, it's just expensive. Well, let's drill down into that if we can. So sure. I, yeah. I want to go back to, 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 to Steph Curry over here on my left. Steph um, Curry. so, so, and okay. So we talked, you talked, that's Under Armour. So wrong wrong yeah, brand. Right. right thank yeah. you. Thank you. All right. Good. So, so we're talking $240 a year. Mm -hmm. So four pairs a year. So you're talking. 60, Sixty bucks a pair. All right, let's just put this in. I know. Good math. math. Really morning, <laughs> late flight. Um, 
So let's just put this perspective. Let's say you go like generally to like a Target, you yes. know, the stride rides of the world, yeah. whatever it was. Like, what are you paying there? What are you dropping as you do this? I mean, you're probably 25 is the minimum. 20 to 30 bucks, right? Yeah. Okay. And now this is that thing too, where you're as a parent, at least this is how it is for me. You're like, oh crap, I got to figure out how to do this. And yeah. it kind of comes on you unexpectedly too. Yes, for sure. So there's a psychological benefit here. There's an incredible convenience benefit. So the premium you're paying, I just want to do the math on this. So the premium you're really paying is is that 30 bucks per pair. So it's about 120 bucks a year to have the convenience, the psychological safety. Oh, and then there's the sneakerhead phenomenon going on right. as well. When we put it in that context, does that change your guys' thinking any more about this? Me personally? Yes. No. No. I mean, it I think- Yeah, it's not quite low enough The yet. challenge is in what you just said, and that is that it's not- I don't think being planful like that right. works in kids' shoes. I think that is going to be a challenge. I think that you like in my experience with my kid, it's like- he comes home and there's a hole in the shoe mm-hmm. or like you have a very limited window. And so if that subscription box isn't hitting you in the right time period, mm-hmm. it, is it providing a value? I don't know. Like in you three st- months though. Like, I mean, that feels like, it feels like that probably doesn't happen inside three months. I don't know. I it mean, probably does because it's just, we're not a culture to that. But, yeah. So that, let me ask you this question. Let me ask the question. Different yeah. Way. What? So if it's, it, you're basically paying $120 for that premium. Yes. What is the dollar amount where that premium actually, where you go, oh yeah, that works for me. Hmm. You know, trying to think of it as kind of average Joe American shopper. What do you think? I don't I, think it's that far to be honest. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't think it is. It's like Nike 40, 50 bucks, right? Trend. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, per, you know, so you're, you're really talking really only a, you know, it's at $15 a month or, you know, nine ninety nine or whatever that might be. I mean, it's still a pretty high price point per so Nike year. Nike smooths this out. I, I think you could have something here. I guess my other question though, is the fact of, could any other brand swing that, right? You know, Nike has yeah. this aura of cool that they right, have sure. worked on for their entire lifetime and spent hundreds of millions of dollars to, to really dive into. And, could any other brand say, you know, could you get a pair of Skechers that gets thrown to you and your kid is happy? Like, I think that Nike being the cool sneaker, yes. you know, you can eliminate, thanks to brand love, you can eliminate the chances that your kid's going to hate the shoe that shows up at the front door. Yeah, nailed it. I think that's what is going to make this interesting to people. Well, and I think, you know who can do that? Let's all say the word. You know who can do exactly what you're talking about? Who? Amazon. With their marketplace, with their range but of I, products they can offer, yeah, service, yeah. But does, part of does your eight year old think that Amazon shoes are cool? He will use am he uses Amazon as a search tool for, for shoes, Nikes for all shoes. But that's the point. Like that's the point that I'm making is that. If I need shoes and he comes home with a hole in a shoe, we're going to Amazon and they're getting here the next day and right. I have the full, the full Amazon catalog. But Nike's- so Nike's got the Nike's got the niche because so it's a it's an added bonus. Like subscription service, cool. Like you're gonna have your Nikes and then I'm gonna have to order a pair on Amazon that he can wear tomorrow yeah, and but, destroy it. And Nike it. has made Ooh, a very strategic move though to not put their hottest shoes on Amazon. You know, their their foray into right. Amazon was like the lamest, most mainstream shoe that you can get specifically for convenience, but they protected their brand so that they're able to now potentially do yeah. what we're talking about here today. Totally agree. We're I think we're on the same page. What I'm just saying is, is that the subscription box is not going to solve the problem of mom is needs to 
you have shoes every four years. Like yeah. you right. still need to have the Amazon. And most parents, uh, and I would imagine around the country, don't care if it's this year's Nike or the last year's Nike. They want Nike shoes on their kids or yep. their kids want Nikes. So if they get them on Amazon for, you know, $20 in their last year's, that's still going to serve. There's still a market. Sure. All right. Well, that was a lot of airtime for Nike. Oh, my God. And why Please. don't you just do the next headline? I can't participate <laughs> in this. Uh, okay. So I wanted to to talk about this story because I think it's really interesting. We're kind of staying on. This is going to be my son's favorite podcast I think that we've ever done because we're going from Nike subscription box, box for kids to Dick Sporting Goods, his second favorite store Seriously, in, on the planet. second favorite store. Oh, yeah. yeah Loves right, it. Yeah. Amazon first, Dick Sporting Goods second. Yep. So Dick Sporting Goods is going to be opening three new clearance outlets which will only sell clothing and footwear. Their uh, location in Mount Pleasant, Wisconsin, was converted from a typical concept Dick Sporting Goods two floor giant box. You know everything from golf clubs to um, uh, Where's Mount hand Pleasant, warmers. Wisconsin? We got to go check that out. I don't know. We oh, should can't be that I'm, far away. I'm searching that right now. Um, <laughs> but they they moved it this past summer, and they no longer feature sporting goods for which they're known and is in their name. And so I wanted to talk to you guys about about what you think about this because that's this is a trend that we're, we've seen in like off-price retail, but what do you guys think of moving all of their like creating just one giant outlet store for Dick Sporting Goods? I think the the erosion of sporting goods is interesting because I um you know, I, I think that they're losing share uh, to more specialty shops. So if you are really right. into baseball, um, there are other smaller, more specialty shops where you're able to get that personalized attention and that type of thing. Now, right. um, this could be a play to say, hey, yeah, we understand that and we're going to move a little further away from maybe the hardware right. and look more towards the larger macro audience of athleisure or simply shopping for athletic clothing where maybe the high touch specialty focus um, isn't as necessary within that experience. Yes. I, this, yeah, I, I, this one, I just, this one, this one doesn't speak to me this week that much. Wow. I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's a good one to note. I mean, at the end of the day, what's the difference between this and an outlet store? Nothing, but you have the psychology of the deal, Chris. Like they, this is to me, it's brilliant. Dick Sporting Goods gets rid of they all of their main stores get to clear out of all the clearance stuff. They're shipping it all to three locations where people go to find the deals. There's deal seekers who are going to shop there and buy Dick Sporting Goods stuff that wouldn't have otherwise because it's a clearance center. I what I worry about this, yeah, is this to me is the canary in the coal mine on Dicks. Like if you look at Carter, I think to your point, like what the problem with sporting goods, and we've talked about this, and a lot of people have said the tipping point of e-commerce, you go over 20%, it gets really hard to maintain a bricks and mortar operation. Yeah. And the reason you're seeing categories over that is because the products they sell are non-differentiated. Everyone has them. And like to our last discussion, you can go on Amazon and pretty much find anything that they're going to sell in all of these categories. And so what you're seeing then is people, and we're going to probably talk about this in a little bit with Macy's with some of the stuff they do. People are now going down market. They're going down in price to try to capture and still survive with whatever they can to survive. And that's that's I think that's that's going to be hard to do. And so this to me is no different than anything we've ever seen before. Outlets have existed in the past. When I used to work at The Gap, we used to have this was in the late 90s. We used to have stores. I can't they were called I think like the Markdown 50 stores. Sure. And those were the 50 stores we sent all our markdowns to. Yeah. And people knew they were coming and they'd come in like but it didn't, it wasn't like this, like 
eye-opening thing that changed the world. Like, I, so this to me, I don't know. I actually, I'm pretty scared. If if I'm dicks, I'm like, I'm uh, pretty short on this idea. Could be canary in the coal mine, but could be huge opportunity to take to have dicks focus, like Carter was saying, on specialty retail in those areas. And make that be like the next iteration or innovation inside Dick's. But the if- problem with Dick's on that point with with Carter is like the, the real estate's too big. It's almost too big to focus on that type of specialty. The, the thing stores are you gigantic. Can't get the re- you can't get the return without selling through enough product. So I don't I, I, I agree that could be a good way to go. But I, you're saddled with a ton of you know, architectural debt issues that you but experience like golf clubs, for example, you're going to buy, you can't buy the golf club on Amazon that you want to test. Like if you turn that and take that real estate and turn it into a virtual reality golf experience, that's now like top golf comes into dicks and partners. Like there's so many opportunities. So that's the cool announcement. So you're, if they can, so you're giving them a ton of credit just from this, assuming they're going to go that way. DSG, you do you. All right. Well, if dicks is listening, Maybe that's an idea. I like that. I like that. Then I will eat crow gladly on this podcast. All right. All right. On. on another topic that I might eat crow at some point, especially for how much I've doubled down on my critiques of them, Macy's announced their earnings yesterday, and they also announced their plans to enter the resale and subscription market. So according to CNBC, Macy's stock was down more than 10% uh, on Wednesday morning, which is more than 50% over the prior year. Uh, the company also lowered its full-year profit outlook as it missed both revenue and earnings expectations this past quarter. Macy's CEO Jeff Gannett cited challenges coming from a decline in international tourism, a fashion miss in women's sportswear, and a slow sell-through of warm weather apparel. Always my favorite excuse. Even though if you read the earnings report line to line and you read the CEO's statement, Mr. Gannett's statements, pretty much all of his strategies seemingly are working pretty well. So it raises some interesting questions. They also announced a partnership with ThreadUp to enter the apparel resale market and with Castle uh, in Bloomingdale's to do the same thing. So curious, you guys, what's your take on Macy's? Talk about canary in a coal mine. Yeah, holy cow. Do you think so, really? Yeah. I mean, I don't know much else to say about this other than like, okay, try. you're going to try more things in store? Go for it. Like, they've got to either invest in how they're going to make these concepts roll out well at scale. Uh, That would be what I would focus on first, not bringing in more partners. Like, figure out how to make a better Macy's store work across more places than to focus on like tests with thread up and more random one-offs like this. Yeah. I always go back to the old political slogan. Are you better off four years? If, you know, f- are you better off today than you were four years ago? Right? Like what in the hell is different about Macy's? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And I think that you, and you hit it right on the head. It's, it's the fact of it's too little too late. They're continuing just to dip their toe in new different types of innovations and different things they're doing. And at the end of the day, like they need a complete transformation because their decline, obviously, by the numbers just continues. I want to pull out some numbers too from this earnings report. It's, I think it's really interesting. Like if you look at his strategy, literally, I'm not joking. Throughout the earnings report, he basically says, Gannett says that everything is going well. And then you t- he talks about his Growth 50 initiative and how successful that is and how they're going to expand it to 150 stores. And those 150 stores make up 50% of the volume. Well, if that's true, why is the comp barely past positive? That means all of your growth is coming from digital because also in the same sort of report, they tout digital growth. They tout their mobile strategy and how effective it's, how, how they're seeing good increases in that space too. That still though means no one's coming to your stores in total in mass. I hate to say it, 
but you still haven't answered to your point to the questions you're raising. This thing Anne always says, why are people coming to Macy's today versus when they used to generationally when they remembered when it was good? There's not a reason. And we'll have more about this. I'm going to write a post pretty soon on the latest story, an outdoor story. I got to tell you guys, newsflash, it ain't any better than the first one. In fact, it's a lot worse. It raises even more questions about what they're doing with that concept overall and how it can scale and how it fits into their strategies. Uh, but I'm with you guys 100%. So yeah, so not the canary in the coal mine. This one actually, was this toe tagged already? <laughs> wow. DOA, huh? DOA. Um, let's talk about shoes again, Carter. <laughs> Can we go back to positive land, please? Yeah, totally. This one's super cool, though. Uh, Yeah, so according to CNBC, this is where this report comes from. Um, Foot Locker is is pairing up with Nike to launch their new, what they call, power stores in Manhattan. So uh, they're partnering with Nike, as I mentioned, that they're building this larger-than-typical-sized location in these major markets. And and that's all good, great, and grand from a logistics standpoint. But the coolest part about this story is that Nike is breaking what the tradition that they've always had and allowing Foot Locker to take advantage of their app experience and their mobile experience in-store and use it within this Foot Locker location, which is yeah. absolutely incredible. Um, and so, for those who are, aren't you know familiar with some of the the you know different functionality of the Nike app, um, I would argue it is one retail app that's actually getting it right. So um, they're able to not only you know the standard scan in the store, learn more about the product, um, but it completely personalizes the entire store experience. So right. um, you can scan product and have an associate bring it out to you at these drop zones. You um, can check yourself out. You can check yourself yeah. out. You can have all of these different things. Things that you, that you can do all within the application um, in a way that makes the shopping experience one that's absolutely incredible. Now Nike has kept this really close to their vest, similar to like the Starbucks stuff we were talking about just a couple weeks back. Right, they've kept it really close, um, only focusing on their major flagship locations and their own stores. Um, and so that's why this story is so big: is that Nike is breaking the law and saying, "Hey, we're going to ex- expand this brand experience to our retailers, to right. the retailers who are carrying our product." Um, and Foot Locker is is one of the longest, you know, standing retailers, the best partnership that Nike has, and I think there there's um, some love for this partnership so uh, I am super curious for a couple reasons one um, just within this new store they're doing a lot of interesting things with the app that they haven't done before so I think now that you have this platform that you have your most avid customers having this app on their phone it unlocks this world of possibility that you're able to um, do within store which is really cool uh, I'm also really curious too of, of um, what other retailers are going to be able to do with the Nike app um, this could be good this could be bad How, where's the data go you know who owns it is nike making this land grab to figure out a way to infiltrate maybe some of the other retailers Mm -hmm. um and how fast will this expand to other retailers as well so um i'm a huge fan obviously of the Foot Locker brand the nike brand you know everything that each of those those companies are doing um i'm just really curious how kind of they're going to play together yeah i mean well Foot Locker needs Nike more than Nike needs Foot Locker. So I think it's really smart on Nike's behalf. They are testing their their platform that they've spent a lot of time and and money in. Um, and now they're going to see what it looks like when they start to roll it out to other retailers and learn from that. But the data thing is a really huge piece of it that I, I would imagine that Nike is going to just c- continue to collect the same way that like Starbucks starts to collect data on where their products are being sold inside other retailers and use that to kind of continue to keep things going. Like you think about how Starbucks flipped their app, you know, taking a receipt 
receipt of where you purchased your Starbucks product. I mean, now Nike is going to be able to see what other products people are buying in and around the Foot Locker universe, you know, the Dick's Sporting Goods universe, like everywhere that they're selling Nike product now, Nike very easily has this platform they can lift and land. And I would say most other retailers are going to be happy to have that as part of the experience. It gives people a reason to come to their location um, and have this really high-end experience that I don't know if Foot Locker would be able to provide. So At, It's amazing. I, I Listening to you guys talk, I actually think this may be one of, the, one of if not the coolest story we've talked about in the last six months. Um, I think it's just, I think to your point, both you guys, like and Carter, I think you said it too, like Nike's got it. And and I remember at Shop, do you remember at Shop Talk when, when Nike was on stage, chief digital officer was on stage and he was going through the strategy and I was like, these guys nailed it. And then I remember we talked to somebody after like, they were, that was so boring. I was like, no, yeah, it wasn't because the guy understands what mobile is all about, what the app's about and how you can use it to create. And Carter, you talk about this all the time, the end to end social community connection from commerce to the, you know, the social network around what your brand's all about. Like they can actually, and, and Nike's been doing this. They've been getting app downloads. I have the sneakers app for crying out loud, right? Like me, and you guys make fun of me for it all the time, but like they're doing it. And now that extends because Nike's, Nike's had retail, but they're not a retailer. Nike's still a brand. It's still more, you know, the manufacturer, the wholesaler, like now they're extending that reach of that app into new points of distribution. And to your point, Ann, that can keep going mm-hmm. forever. Yeah. It can go out into the physical world. So you're right. They're digitizing the physical world through how they're thinking about their omnichannel strategy by way of the mobile phone, by way of their application development. I, I This is a really big story, in my opinion. It's huge. And and actually, you know, spoiler alert, uh, I'm working on a presentation all about, you know, <laughs> using mobile accurately in store. And this is like a marquee case study, you know, that's launching this fall. We should do that of, for Third House. Let's, well, yeah, yeah we totally. That, yeah. Um, you know, so I, I think that at the end of the day, this is and and also selfishly from like coming from myself who, you know, specializes in building in-store experiences, mm-hmm. having an app on device on the majority of your favorite customers unlocks unlimited potential in terms of how to enhance that experience. So um, you know, I get asked every day, well, can't we just push them? Can't we just send a push notification when they get to the store? Like, no, unless you have an app on the phone. And I would argue Nike is one of the few brands who can assume the case. Yeah. It, or Amazon. Like, look at what right. it kind of brings up what GH Labs did with Amazon last year. Everybody's mm-hmm. got the Amazon app. If yeah. everybody has the Nike app and now you just unlock things in that app and you're doing payment within that app, you could do fulfillment within that app. Like, I don't know. The the opportunities are are pretty significant. And you can manage your subscription for your kids. Right. Yeah, right. That's interesting to think about though. Like what outside of social apps, like what are the apps that people ubiquitously have on their phone? We talk about it every day. Yeah. Amazon. It's, it's Amazon, it's Starbucks, Starbucks it's Nike. Nike. Um, and then who's next? Well, then like you have a, you have companies? the social apps, right? Yeah. Oh, depending on the demographic, right? Yeah. You have the social apps. And, and that's also, as you guys know, I'm so hot on text messaging. Like people think fun of me all day long yeah. about the idea of, oh, you're going to text them? Like, isn't that an old oh, technology? Oh, yeah. You tell me another app that not only is on every single person's phone, but that everyone knows how to use. And who mm-hmm. still calls each other. Yeah, right. Yeah. So anyways. Well, let's tangent. definitely hit more on that, Carter, because I think there's a ton of exciting info to share on that front. All right. For the last story, story number five of this week, we're going to do something a little different. I'm going to put it up for grabs. So I got two options here. I couldn't decide which one to go with. So the first one is that Amazon announced a new pricing automation service for those that are selling on their marketplace. According to Retail Dive, it's called the Sold by Amazon program, where sellers gain usage of an automated pricing system where the merchants can guarantee a minimum proceeds amount. 
The other story comes to us by way of Wisconsin again, which coincidentally, by the way, Mount Pleasant, Wisconsin, six hours away. Wisconsin is much bigger than you think. I know, random fact. Okay. But the story from Coles this week is curated by Coles. Essentially, it's a carbon copy of the Market at Macy's concept. It's a plan for 50 stores. It's help, The curation is helped by Facebook. And the idea is that you bring in hot, new, digitally native brands into Kohl's in a curated way, curated by Kohl's, on a routine basis, You know, say six, seven times a year, typical retail cycles. Show of hands for those listening at home. Carter, Ann, which of those two would you like to cover? Uh. I guess I'm going to go with Amazon. Yeah, I'll go to Amazon. You guys both want to cover Amazon. Well, it's just the Kohl's thing. It's like, cool. Wah, wah. Cool, guys. Yeah, Have okay. fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Got it. Same. Been there, done that. My great aunt will love it. whatever they bring in. Right, right. All the digitally native cool stuff. Well, why'd you guys pick Amazon? Uh, I don't know. I just think it's more relevant to more people. <laughs> you're, con- <laughs> you're, you're continuing to see... My thing is that you're continuing to see Amazon's algorithm and technology might affect larger portions of the experience, both from a seller perspective and a buyer perspective. And so who else in the world is going to be able to look at the trillions and trillions of data points and give a recommendation that's going to be spot on on what your product is going to sell for? Um, you know, And it's just completely taking, again, really any guessing and checking and human intervention out of the equation um we are obviously talking about the seller side of things which might not affect directly the public in terms of being a a normal amazon buyer however i think you're going to start to see if you actually are getting pricing by algorithm you will start to see i would imagine a more competitive pricing structure i i don't have a ton of experience with pricing structure um being that i came from the creative side of retail (laughs) but I'm curious, like, is this, is there a potential? Exorbitant pricing structures? Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, is there a potential for Amazon as they are are gaining more and more people on this platform for them to take this and offer it as like AWS, where it's like Amazon pricing structure. They could sell it to other retailers where they're like, look, this is the lowest. We're going to start with our marketplace people. Maybe not, but it's like, well, what's the potential do down there? For sure. But I guess are they are they leveraging that as a potential down the road to be like we know this is going to be the lowest price that you can sell the product. I'm asking for. this intentionally, and it's a little bit leading. Do you think that's cool? Do I think it's cool? Miss Tinfoil Hat. Do you think that's cool? Yeah, I don't care about this. I just don't want them in my house. All right. Okay. So you guys have not brought up something on this, which I think is really interesting. Which is why I threw it out as kind of the last topic and did the whole vote thing. Yeah. I am probably, and I did this yesterday at the at the speaking event I was at. I am probably the biggest, like one of the biggest Amazon supporters out there in terms of like how they think about things and what they do. This one, for the first time, I have my tinfoil hat on. Why this one creeps the hell out of me? Stop and think about this for a minute. Amazon is basically saying you're a third party seller in our marketplace. We're gonna let you use our algorithms. Wait, we're going to use our algorithm. If you sign up for our service, we're going to use our algorithms to put prices on your products. Amazon, by doing that, if you stop and think about it, is essentially the marketplace for the goods and then the controller of price for the goods. Mm-hmm. So Amazon, in theory, if I sell widget A and Carter sells widget B and both of us have signed up for this service, Amazon is cr- controlling where we can buy those products and the prices that we can get from them from different sellers. That starts to creep me out 
in terms of monopolistic power yeah. in a way that I haven't been creeped out before, even though I know people talk about it all the time, but I can't believe that they're trying to do this. Now, if someone's listening and you want to show me why that line of theory is wrong, please do so. Please hit me up on social media. But like, this is really strange to me. Hmm. I think it depends on the depth or... And the coverage, but Amazon has broad coverage. They they have almost all the products. I mean, what do they have? 40, 50% e-commerce market share already? Yeah, it's, yeah, uh, yeah. over and, 50, I think. And I think it's inter- I think that is correct maybe for new products that don't have a lot of sellers of the exact same thing. Like you still are going to get the best price using the normal tools as a customer, Sure, right? You're still going to see, you know, if I want to buy this, you know, this Apple mouse that's sitting in front of me for $50, but another seller is selling it on Prime for 45, like that is something that's apparent to me as a consumer however your point may come into play to say you know if they're making another wireless mouse you know i'm going to tell you the price of this based on you know or, or what it's worth mm-hmm. and i think that's potentially where you're getting into well that. and we just talked about dick sporting goods and everything else and all the other categories that hit the tipping point there's a hell of a lot of products that are not differentiated and very similar to each other and but then it, you get in the question of transparency like what prices are being charged and why and who's getting what it's just another t- it's just another tally of the value out of retail right like a physical retail adding an incredible experience with an incredible brand, a brand like Nike going to the flagship store in New York, you're okay paying a premium because you know what? If you want to buy a commodity good on Amazon, you're going to get it for 50% less and that's just the way it's going to go. So is there, uh, it, it continues, I guess, if we want to zoom out a little bit, continues to add to the importance of building incredible brands and incredible consumer experiences when you're not buying on Amazon. Well, and and now that Amazon's getting more and more into production of goods too, like how what are they doing with that information and then once amazon comes out and creates w- widget c that's you know 16 dollars to your 20 then what happens so you, then so i got you a little creeped out yeah not oh, great like, but then, i need another reason <laughs> but to be creeped that, out by that's amazon. what i'd argue is one of the most sinister things of amazon is they incentivize small brands to get on their platform so they can collect all the data they want sure, on it right. and then just completely turn around and rip it off and then put it at 50 percent less right which is also curious when you start talking about Facebook at Kohl's and Macy's and all that other stuff too. But Correct. that's another topic for another day. All right. That was awesome. God, we got into some meaty, heady stuff there, especially at the end. A lot of good discussion. Love the back and forth between Anna Carter in the beginning around uh, around Nike. That was amazing. Um, if you haven't yet, please check out thirdhouse.com. We'd love your feedback. Love any questions you might have. Neil, if you're listening and once that car is running, please know. With that Chevy, let us know if that levy is dry. Oh my God, stop. As always, please rate, review, and like. Subscribe to our podcast if you can. Please, we have a goal. We're trying to become the most highly rated podcast in retail. So please help us out. If you haven't done that already, please take a listen. Stop, go on iTunes, leave us a quick review. And as always, be careful out there.